You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field team. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Beat so He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Welcome to A's Cast Live. Here live from the field is... The Athletics are finishing up their season. This is the last homestand. Can you believe it? Three against Kansas City, three against Texas, and that is it. So you need to get out here. You need to support your Oakland Athletics. we got a great show for you. Clay Wood, head's groundskeeper. Yesterday here, I was here 24 hours ago on this field doing the sidelines for the Raiders radio network. And here we are, basically 24 hours from when I was last here. Right, it's 3 o'clock, so that was probably in the third, maybe early fourth quarter. Clay Wood and his staff has turned this thing around here at the Coliseum, the conversion from football to baseball. And if you were at the Raider game yesterday and you now look at what the stadium looks like right now, it's, it's incredible how fast these guys got to turn this around. And that was the very last game that you'll probably ever see in your lifetime where a football team plays on a baseball field. You know, I grew up with it. And if you're old enough, and I think a lot of us, you know, you've grown up with it here, but you grew up where everybody had that. Like every NFL game you watched preseason or you watched in September, just about everybody played on a baseball infield. The Giants did it over at Candlestick. The Angels did it because the Rams played at the Big A. San Diego, the Chargers played on the Padres field. Even the turf fields that you saw in Pittsburgh and in Cincinnati. Miami had it. Houston had it in the Dome. The the, the dual facility is something that has been going on forever. Back in the day, the Boston Patriots, now that you know them as the New England Patriots, they played at Fenway Park. The Chicago Bears, the Monsters of the Midway, Dick Butkus, Gale Sayers, they played at Wrigley. They didn't play at Soldier Field yet. So yesterday was a little, I'll say, sentimental that we're never going to see that again. Because, I, I mean, I grew up with it and always liked it. But I know for a baseball standpoint that it's good news that we're never going to see that again. And that you're never going to be putting these million-dollar ball players out on a field that's absolutely chewed up. Because I've walked the field today, and I'll tell you, it is really chewed up. Now, the worst part about it, which people think it's, it's the football players, that's not the worst part. 
the worst part is center field, right center, and left center. Because that's where they put the stands on the opposing side. And what they do is they bring out these wood plates at a center field, and they put them down on the grass, and then they bring the stands out. And what happens is, is that wood, 415 for clay wood. We're just confirming here on the field. That's how great the show is that we can book guests while we're here on the field live. Steve Fiziak is also going to join us. The Fizz, longtime voice of the Royals and the Angels. He's going to join us coming up here at 430. And we're being told that we potentially are going to be getting Chris Davis today. So potentially Chris Davis and maybe Bo Taylor. As Bo Taylor is back with the ball club. So that's what we got. Clay Wood at 415. Steve Fiziak at 430. Chris Davis and Bo Taylor at some point. So the, the, the main problem is center field, right center, left center, because the stands with those wood plates, it just suffocates the grass. You know, grass is a living organism, and if it doesn't, can't breathe, it dies. So the grass out in center field is dead. Now, the field, it's pretty – the field – think about the field right now like a fairway in golf, where you have beautiful parts of the grass on the fairway – but then you got divots all over the place from, you know, if you, let's say you have a, a, a golf course that's played a lot, you're going to have divots all over the place. That would be the equivalent of this field right now. That's how I would view it. You know, one thing I want to get into today, the most valuable player award, it's, it's truly changed. You know, old school theory was that you voted for the guy on, the, on a team that was battling for the postseason. That you helped put your team on your back and got you to where you, you either, either came close or you for sure got in. Like my grandfather, Bob Elliott, was the first third baseman to ever win the MVP. And he won it in 1947. And the reason why he won it is because he what he did down the stretch to help the Boston Braves get into the postseason. And we saw that for so many years. Think about Kurt Gibson. Kurt Gibson winning the MVP in 1988 didn't even come close to driving in 100 runs. I think Kurt Gibson had 25 home runs. I'll look it up right here. I mean, it really is when you look at the numbers and you go, this guy? How did this guy win? But Kurt Gibson didn't win the MVP based on numbers. He won it on not only big hits down the stretch, but he won it for what he meant for his leadership. Yeah, look at these numbers. If I told you that the MVP, we'll just go standard numbers. The MVP hit 290 with 25 home runs and 76 RBIs. Would you say that's a monster year? But it was his leadership. It, it, it's, he, he got this Dodger team that had talent, and he helped teach them how to win. And he had some big hits, but he didn't have a monster year. I guarantee you if I went and looked up, the National League in 1988, I can find guys that have far more better years statistically. But the voting's kind of flipped. We now vote, or I don't vote, but the voters in recent memory have been voting for just who's the best player. And that's kind of the right now would be the controversy as Mike Trout is going to have surgery on his big toe and he's out for the rest of the year. Is Mike Trout the best player in the American League? There's no doubt. But his angels stink. 
So how do we go about picking the MVP? Because I think that's why I could really make a case for why Marcus Simeon should be the MVP. And I know right out of the gate someone would say to me, well, what about Alex Bregman? Yes, Bregman's having a great year, but we're talking most valuable player. When you talk about a guy who's the MVP, if we're not going to base it on what we do now, we're just say, who's the best guy, give him the trophy. And even as I'm saying this, I would vote for Trout. And the reason I would vote for Trout is this, is his greatness should not be denied. It just shouldn't be. And how do we define greatness? Well, we define how many MVPs did you win. Why is Barry Bonds Barry Bonds? Because Barry Bonds has seven MVPs. And that's the thing that they put on your plaque when you go into Cooperstown. And I don't think Mike Trout should be denied his greatness. But if we were truly just to say who's the most valuable player, Bregman's having a fantastic year. He's got 36 jacks, 104 RBIs, almost has a 1,000 OPS. I'm not denying how good he is either. But he's just a part of a machine that is the Houston Astros. That is technically the most well-rounded team that we have in Major League Baseball. He is a stud. But is he the most valuable? If we're, if we're going old school, is he the most valuable? Because if we're going old school, I think about Marcus Simeon. And I think of what he has done this season. It's MVP worthy when you talk about what an MVP is. Marcus Simeon this year has played every single game. Every single game for a team that is trying to get into the postseason. I mean, that's big league. And usually what you want from your shortstop is you want your shortstop to be great defensively. And you can live with a shortstop who doesn't give you a whole lot offensively. But that's you think about the year that this man has had. And I don't really believe this is a homer take. I think this is real. You can make the argument for a guy that's played in 150 games. That's the most in baseball. He's played in more games than anybody else. Now, some people may catch up to him because the game's in Japan. But he's, he's right now, for a team that's won 90 games, he's played in more games and he's had more plate appearances because he, he leads off than anybody in baseball. If you would have told me in spring training that Marcus Simeon's going to play every day, he's going to be a leadoff hitter, and he should be an MVP candidate, I would have told you you're crazy. But that's what he's done. He has been the model of consistency at, a, at, at arguably the toughest defensive position. Well, I'd say catcher's the toughest, but you know what I mean. You have to be such a tremendous athlete to be able to play shortstop and to do it on an everyday basis. Marcus Simeon has scored 115 runs this year as a leadoff hitter. He has hit 30 home runs and driven in 85 as a leadoff hitter. He has an 877 OPS as a leadoff hitter, a 135 OPS plus. Remember, 100 average, he's 135. 314 total bases. 
and he's arguably the best defensive shortstop or consistent shortstop in the American League. If that is not an MVP resume, I don't know what is. I will tell you this about Marcus Simeon. This will be very tough for him to replace a season like this. He is in his prime, and he's having a season of a lifetime. This is one of those seasons you never know if you can replicate this. I do believe Trout will get the MVP. If he doesn't, it'll probably be Bregman. But you can make a case if you really just go by the term most valuable There is no question Marcus Simeon has been the most valuable player in the American League. And the numbers back it up. What gives him somewhat of a shot is Trout's hurt. Bregman plays in Houston. It's not like you're going up against a guy who's on the Red Sox. You're going up against a guy who's a Yankee. That should be a three-horse race. He better get a lot of votes because he's earned it. Coming up next, the best in the business, Clay Wood will join us here on A's Cast Live. Chris Townsend with you here on A's Cast Live as I'm being joined by the happiest man in the Bay Area today. I can tell you that uh, the work he has done over the years is unbelievable, and he'll never have to deal with it again. Clay Wood, head's groundskeeper of the Oakland Athletics, your last infield dirt game congratulations you survived it <laughs> uh it's been a long time coming 25 years of this stuff is uh puts you it, it's like dog years i'm 109 and multi-purpose groundskeeper years so <laughs> I, I look pretty good for a 109 year old don't you think yes you do and, and i was trying to tell people it was literally 24 hours ago you and i were standing on this field and it'd probably be four so it's probably late fourth quarter and the fact that you guys have turned this over and essentially less than 24 hours, just talk about what an effort that is for you and your crew. Yeah, I mean, for, for my crew as the grounds crew, the, the stagehands, the crane operators, everybody that's involved in this, you know, massive, uh, cumbersome operation. And then on top of it, rained on and off all night uh, and all morning. So that just made it, you know, more difficult on everyone. The you know, the thing that, that's hard for us as a grounds crew is, is, you know, everybody finishes, all the stands go back in, everything's back in, and then we're left with the mess that is the field, whether it's center field or the warning track. Uh, you know, with the rain, the warning track was just an absolute disaster. So, you know, my guys are going to be working on that right up till game time probably. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge for everybody involved, and, and uh, I think – I don't think anybody's sad to uh, to see that be the last one going this way. I totally understand, but growing up watching it, it was a, it, almost every stadium have it, even the dome stadiums. You know, everybody shared back in the day. It wasn't that long ago. You know, you think about it, you start naming them, and and I mean, you can go on and on naming the multi-purpose stadiums. You know, starting with across the bay, San Diego, Miami, uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. I mean. It, it, the list goes on forever. Everybody had a multi-purpose stadium. It seemed like besides Detroit. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about uh, Dodger Stadium. Yeah, Dodger Stadium. There was a few that maybe didn't, but, you know, Anaheim. Um, yeah, they did. You just, you know, mile high, you know, AAA and, and NFL. Uh, and then the Rockies for a couple of years. So, I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago when you think about it. Now, uh, fortunately, uh, they're going to be extinct. 
and there's a good reason for that, and they should be. So. Yeah, a lot of people forget, you know, old Yankee Stadium, uh, Fenway Park, Wrigley Field. They all had football back in the day. And, and talk about, like, I try, you've taught me over the years, it's the actual football game isn't the worst part. It's actually in center field, left center, and right center where the where the bleachers are that, that really hurt the grass. Yeah, I mean, the center field bleachers are probably the single hardest thing on the, the turf, and it's really the process of getting them in and out of the stadium. Uh, it's not necessarily the the bleachers themselves but but in order to get them onto the field you know it takes a ton of plywood and cranes and forklifts and trucks and all kinds of things that just compact the grass and and basically kill the grass and then this week we had them out there for eight days so uh you know no sunlight really no water no circulation um so you know that's why it's going to be kind of neon yellow today um but uh yeah, and then, you know, really the, the left and right field corners, there's no access when it's in football configuration. You're going across, you know, the left field corner or the right field corner, all the golf carts, all the sideline equipment, all the TV, uh, everybody that's involved in a, you know, you know how many people and, yeah. and how much stuff's on the sideline for an NFL game. All that crosses the corners of our outfield. So, you know, it's just it's just not a, uh, designed very well for for access for for football. You don't have a full warning track, and um, so it's really difficult on the baseball field. Yeah, I, you may not notice it when when you're, you're you really don't notice it when you're watching on television, but even when you're here, you know, everybody's watching the field. You may not realize there's hundreds of people on the sidelines on both sidelines. It's crazy how many people there are. Yeah, especially pregame. I mean, even during the game, but pregame. Um, you know, I think especially even this year now with being them being their last year here, there's a lot of a lot of people want to come down one last time. And you know, there was uh, probably the last two games, uh, Monday night and Sunday. I've seen more people on the sidelines pregame than I've ever seen before. So, um, you know, all that adds to it. Um, all of it makes it more challenging and, and more difficult. But uh, you know, again, fortunately, it's the last time that you know for everybody that, that yeah. we have to do it yeah and that's it, you know for, for both organizations everybody's like thank god you know i was comparing the field to actually where the players were it's kind of like a fairway in golf right the grass is perfect but there's divots and right. you're going to have that when you have a, when a lot of golfers coming through I, I would you compare it more like a fairway yeah i would you know and the other thing too that it's hard to explain to people is you know it's not like uh it's not like kansas city or carolina or miami where you know, we're going into a football season on a brand new football field. We, we've played what 76 baseball games. Um, we've had pitchers warming up in the outfield for 76 days. We've had all of our maintenance, which totally goes against the football field. Um, and then on top of that, the last three, you know, the first three games that the Raiders have played, it seems like 90% of those three games combined have gone from. Uh, the 40-yard line on the north to the north end zone. You know, it seems like every game except for the second half of yesterday has been played on this side of the field. So, you know, it, it, uh, all that factors in. It's it's kind of crazy. How much does it affect the field that we're below sea level here at the Coliseum? Oh, it affects it a lot. Um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to explain and and. Um, it's really a tidal thing. You're in a stadium where the field's 22 feet below sea level, and it, it's surrounded by water. You know, it's surrounded by the slough that runs around the stadium. The, the uh, we have a lot of uh, shadows, uh, difficulties with shadows from the big scoreboard and and the east side structure. Um, 
So, you know, certain parts of the field just stay wet longer during the day. It holds moisture being below sea level more. So there's a lot of factors that go into it that, that uh, you know, it's hard to explain why and how, but it, it just, this field just holds water totally different than, than a normal field that wouldn't be 22 feet below sea level. You know, the thing, though, about the field that a lot of people will tell you around the game is that this is the best playing surface in Major League Baseball. So it's kind of crazy, and it's a credit to you and your staff. It's kind of with all the craziness around it, the actual grass and playing for baseball, it's beautiful. Yeah, well, when it's just a baseball field, you know, I've got a great staff, and we take a lot of pride in what we do to, to try to keep this thing, uh, you know, tip-top shape for baseball. And that's really, you know, on top of it, what, what makes it even more frustrating, I guess, is, you know, you have 76 games and the, the, the field's still okay for baseball, yet you come in, you convert it, it just shows you the challenges of the stadium. You convert it once or twice for football and the field shot, you know, and that just that just goes to show you how poorly of a design this is for two sports. And, and, and it's on, you know, it's unfortunate that has to happen. That's just the way it is, because there's so many so many moving parts in this conversion. You just can't do anything normal once you convert to football. And I think about the new stadium in 2023. How, how much different, because it's a different climate down there. It's cooler and it's right on the water. How, how will it be different than from here, do you think? D different climate, and but a lot of, you know, potentially a lot of the same challenges being right on the water. Um, probably going to be above sea level uh, with, the, with the field, but you're going to be right on the water. And, you know, I think uh, unlike here, you're going to have uh, the benefits of some newer technology. Um, there's some, some uh, sub air systems some things that make fields you know drier when they're wet uh, there's just a lot of technology out there that that we can build into a new stadium that really you can't uh, you can't necessarily the way this place is designed the way it's uh, the, the drainages and the pump room and being built in the 60s you can't add those things here it would be tough to uh, you know, to really renovate and, and update things with that technology like you could in a new, you know, starting from yeah. scratch in a new building. Yeah, I've had so many people say, why don't they just renovate the Coliseum? And it's like, well, if you're going to do that, you just tear it down and build a new one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that, that the people, you know, you, you really there's nothing left to renovate here. I mean, every, every room, every building, you know, every room in the building leaks, you know. I mean, if it rains... Uh, you know, the clubhouse leaks, the, you know, my office leaks. And, it, you know, that was built in 96. My office still leaks. You know, it's like <laughs> the, there, there's no renovating this property. I mean, it's just there's, there, you know, there's only so many walls you can knock down. You know, I mean, there's, there's only so much you can do. So one thing I've always wondered, because now football's gone. We're not going to have to deal with football with the A's. How do you get the paint off the grass? Um, well, it's going to have to grow out. I'll, I'll Probably, we tried to dye it last night, but we got a pretty good amount of rain overnight, and it kind of washed off the, the dye from last night. So um, it's really hard on the grass to try to wash it out. So uh, usually we just paint it green and then just kind of mow it out as we go. Ah, yeah, because I've always wondered, like, all of a sudden it's like, here, there's paint, and then all of a sudden it, it, it's green grass again because, you know, we got not only do you have, you have this, you have three more against Kansas City, three against Texas, but – there's potential. We're hosting the wild card game on the second. Yeah, and, and that's the good news, you know, for baseball anyway. The field conditions are only going to get better from here to, to hopefully potentially, you know, hosting a wild card game and hopefully a deep playoff run. So, you know, 
if we're not converting and we're not playing football, then you know we have the ability to fertilize and, and really do more regular maintenance to, to push this field along in the next 10 to 13 days. You know, I know your crew gets to know the players really well, and it's a, it's a great relationship. Just talk about how, you know, the synergy with this team winning again, now 90 wins after 97, can still win more with, with this homestand and road trip. But I know there's a great bond between you guys and the players. Yeah, you know, it's fun. We, we have a great little spot in the dugout. We get to sit right next to the players. The guys have, you know, a lot of the bullpen guys. They have their little rituals when the guys walk down to the bullpen. But uh <clears throat> it's a fun t a fun team to be around. They're young, they're energetic, they're super exciting to watch. I mean, we've got two of the best corner infielders I've seen in certainly the 25 years that I've been working in the game. And I mean, I there doesn't not a play goes by I want to miss when a ball's hit to third base. So um, it, it's a lot of fun right now. A lot of fun. Do you guys ever talk with the infielders about the infield, about maybe they might have a request? You know, I try to keep a pulse on it. Um, these guys don't really talk daily about it. You know, um, I, I yeah, talked to Matt a little bit. You know, the first, first year he was up during football, we were facing some challenges. You know, the field plays different once we have football. So, um, but it's, you know, really the only guy in the past that I've had really like a not, and it wasn't necessarily a daily thing, but really ongoing was Eric Chavez. We were like, you know, we just had a really good dialogue going and kind of knew what each other were thinking. And, and you know, if, if I felt like I could read his body language, like maybe something wasn't right, I'd just talk to him. He'd say, oh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it was a little hard for a day game or something like that. But uh, but these guys, yeah, they don't, uh, they don't have a lot of uh, daily requests or anything like that. You are the best. Congratulations. The nightmare is over, and it's just baseball from here on out here at the Coliseum. Oh, uh, amen, brother. Amen. Clay, you're the man. <laughs> See ya. Coming up next, Steve Fiziak from the Kansas City Royals. The Fizz will join us right here on the A's Radio Network. Well, Steve Fiziak has been coming on my shows for many years, whether it was down with the Angels or now back home with the Kansas City Royals. Always great to catch up with him. And what do you think of our set here with our, our new A's Cast Live? I think it's amazing, and I just love the fact that it's a baseball-slash-football facility, one of the few remaining uh, stadiums that plays both sports in uh, professional sports. And the center fielders are going to have a rough time tonight. There is no doubt about that. Well, let, let me tell you how, how strange this is. I also do the Raider, Raiders sidelines. for the. For oh, the my Ra gosh. So 24 hours ago, I was right over here working, and to think here we are now to baseball – it's the last time it's ever going to happen, but it just shows you how good the grounds crew is here, and 24 hours can turn it around. And, Chris, I just want you to know I was raised in Kansas City, yeah. so I was a Royals-slash-Chiefs fan, and, of course, the Raiders were like the worst team in football to me. Yeah. They were the enemy, and I do remember being at the game back in 1970-something and when Ben Davidson spiked Len Dawson, our quarterback, I was eating an apple and walking along the sideline, you know, obviously outside. But the fans were so close at Old Municipal Stadium, I came within an eyelash of throwing my apple at Ben <laughs> Davidson when he came off the field with this big grin on his face after he had spiked Len Dawson. Oh, the hatred is oh, real. Oh, gosh, it is real. When we roll into Kansas City, it's amazing all the uh, nice gestures, hand <laughs> gestures we get. Oh, and like you don't give them to <laughs> other fans. I, I was in the Bay Area, remember, 10 years from yeah. 1987 to uh, 1996. 
And so I was uh, over at Jack London Square a lot with KTVU and came over here and saw many Raiders games. And then uh, I would later broadcast the uh, Los Angeles Rams their last year in Los Angeles when the Raiders were down there. And I believe a, a security guy told me that they averaged about 12 fights per game except on the day that the Raiders and Rams played. And then it was over 120 fights where they had to make some arrests. And it was like crazy. Yeah. The Raiders are pirates. <laughs> and that's why people from Kansas City, which is the heartland, which is all about love, why we do not like Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> so Kansas City, you know, it, it, it's not that long ago. If it wasn't for Mass and Bumgarner, you'd have two World Series rings. Uh, the team was phenomenal. But definitely... In, in, in an influx and a change here going younger, what's going on with the Royals? Well, much like Dayton Moore when he built that last team, what he did was he put together a core group of players, Mike Moustakis, Eric Hosmer, Salvador Perez, Kelvin Herrera, Danny Duffy, and, and many more, and he put them at different levels, at A-ball, double-A, triple-A, and they won all three levels. We are a small market team, so what they did was they were able to build those guys. They learned how to win together, playing team baseball together, and got to back-to-back -back World Series and won one in 2015. And, of course, we had quite a few great players who all became free agents at the same time, couldn't hold on to all of them. And Eric Hosmer is now with San Diego. Mike Moustakis is now with Milwaukee. And Dayton Moore has to do the same thing all over again. And how about this? We were one of only four teams that had five minor league teams in the postseason and we have already won four championships at the pioneer league at the sally league carolina league dominican uh summer league team number one so we're really proud of those guys and he's done the same thing he is grouping a core group of players to teach them how to number one win play team baseball together last year we had a great draft we had five of the top 58 selections all five selections were college pitchers all five of those pitchers have been dynamic in the minor leagues. Brady Singer, Jackson Coer, Daniel Lynch, uh, on and on. And it's, it's been a very su great success story. So what they're doing is they're building together, trying to put, put those pitchers eventually with the core group of players like Soler, with Merrifield, Mondesi, Dozier, etc. And there are some uh, position players that they're still looking at that they believe will be part of our future. A guy like Khalil Lee right now is in double-A, only 21 years old, and a very good player. I, I really believe in him, and I, and I just believe in the system. And then next year, of course, they'll get Salvador Perez back, and that will lift the team as well. But they're still a little bit away. But I think small market teams, whether it's Oakland, even though you're in the Bay Area, you're competing with the San Francisco Giants here, so you're looked at a little bit as a small market team. And teams like Kansas City, we have to do it in a certain disciplined way. And uh, so there will be ups and downs in, in a 10-year period. Yeah, I mean, you, you look out here, what you're talking about winning at the minor leagues, when you look at Matt Chapman and Matt Olson and these guys, they won together in the minor leagues. And the way Billy Bean does it is that he'll take the great young talent, put some veterans around it. And, you know, here we are, 97 wins last year, 90 wins already this year. And if the A's do make that one-game wild card, which they're in the lead for it, that's in the playoffs 10 years out of 20 years. Pretty amazing what Billy Bean and David Force have done with, with, with this club, with the restrictions that they have. You're right, and hopefully they're going to get that new ballpark, and I think that is going to really lift them. And now that the Raiders have, will be going off to Las Vegas, Oakland will be pretty much the Oakland Athletics. And it always bothered me a little bit back in the – 
early 1990s, I thought the Haas family did a great job in being part of the community. Um, I saw them at so many different charity events, uh, helping out, uh, investing in the community, and I didn't see that with the Raiders. I saw them leaving back and forth wherever the money was going, and yet the city of Oakland kind of sold themselves out to the Raiders rather than the A's. And now that the A's are back, and the A's have always been loyal to Oakland, and hopefully Oakland will be loyal back. And I think about Kansas City. You know, when we talk about, it's funny, small market team, but yet they just sold for over a billion dollars. What, what, what was this like, the, the, the transition here in ownership, and how's everybody feeling there in Kansas City? Well, the Glass family has been marvelous. They're not only committed to trying to build a great baseball program, but they're also committed to the community. And you see their name on uh, so many charitable events throughout town. And when you think of Kansas City, you think of two teams, the Chiefs and the Royals. Yes, we do have Sporting KC, a fine uh, soccer program, but you think of two real strong professional teams. So there's a lot of love in the area, and it's not just within Kansas City. It's Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, Arkansas, Oklahoma, where a lot of our support comes from. And uh, we were able to find a guy to buy the team who absolutely loves baseball. John Marshall loves baseball. He loves Kansas City. He's from Kansas City. He and his wife have invested themselves tremendously within the community, and I think it'll be a very smooth transition. The Glass family, I think, did a great job of finding the perfect owner for our Kansas City Royals, and I think, um, I think we're going to see some success uh, shortly in the future. Yeah, because it is truly, I mean, we know it's a great football market, but it's also a great baseball market. Oh, there's no question. When you go back and take a look at the old days, we had the Kansas City Monarchs, I believe, won six world championships during the Negro League Baseball days, and now we have the Negro League Baseball Museum. The, uh, the Urban Youth Academy has been very successful within the Kansas City community, but the history of the, of the Monarchs, the Old Blues, the uh, Kansas City Athletics, the Kansas City Royals, um, it is a, a great baseball ground and a great baseball area, and we certainly saw that enthusiasm. I remember when we lost to the uh, San Francisco Giants in 2014. The enthusiasm was unbelievable throughout town. But Mike Kruko, who's the Giants broadcaster, after the Giants beat the Royals in game one, he's walking out and he's wearing his orange and black jacket. And he says to me the next day, he goes, Fizz, where did you get these fans? And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, I walked out and I had my orange and black Giants jacket on. We won the game and I thought I was going to be assaulted. People were going to flip me off and yell at me. And they were patting me on the back saying, hey, congratulations. You played a very good game. We're going to try and beat you tomorrow, but you guys played. And he goes, did you guys get these from people from the 1950s and thaw them out of some freezer? Because he <laughs> said they were so kind and friendly and helpful. And he goes, wherever he went in town, they saw the same kind of, you know, community. And what was really cool is when the Giants won in Game 7, and remember, it was a heartbreak because Alex Gordon was 90 feet away from tying the game. As soon as the Giants won, they turned the fountains in left field and right field the color orange. And I just thought, yeah. that, that was cool. Um, that's sportsmanship. And I think you find that a lot in communities like Kansas City, and that's why uh, Kansas City loves baseball. Baseball loves Kansas City. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's so funny. It's like, how great they are, but once you get to football season, it all changes. <laughs> I can tell you, walking those sidelines, no one's patting hey, me hey, on the back. Hey, Patrick Mahomes <laughs> is pretty good yesterday, wasn't he? I got to tell you, the skill set reminds me, they're a little bit different, but the skill set reminds me a lot of John Elway. 
Yeah. Yeah, Elway's a lot bigger. Right. But Patrick Mahomes, obviously, his father, longtime big leaguer, he's got the arm. His ability to make any type yeah. of throw, and the thing that's most impressive is when he's going across his body, so he's running towards the sideline, he can turn his torso, throw across his body, and throw a 30-yard strike. I don't think there's been too many people who have been ever able to do that in this game. You're right. Elway is one of them. And the other thing that impresses me about Mahomes is his peripheral vision, where he will be looking downfield and he'll see a tight end open on the left sideline and find him with an awkward throw. It's awkward for you and I, but not for him. It's a very athletic throw, which right on the money, you're going, holy smokes. Um, he is special. And I think not only do the Chiefs have a special guy in Patrick Mahomes, but I believe in my heart when he gains some experience and continues to gain confidence, we have that kind of talent at our shortstop position in Adalberto Mondesi. He is a tremendous uh, five-tool guy. Yeah, it's uh, I, Chiefs could be winning the Super Bowl this year. There's no question about it. They have that kind of talent. And uh, as you're saying, in the next few years, we could see the Royals back. You know, one guy I wanted to talk to you about, my all-time favorite guy growing up was George Brett. Yeah. I love George Brett. I loved Mine, too. I loved him so much, I went back and watched him get inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Did you? I have a Christmas ornament that I put. I mean, George, because to me, he's baseball. How great is it to have a guy like that who's still always around? He's fantastic, and he is so supportive of the organization and so supportive of the players. When we hired him as our hitting instructor uh, a few seasons back when things were going down he was basically there for the mental uplift because he said I had been removed from the game too long so Pedro Grafol who's our catching instructor now worked with the technical aspect of uh, and the mechanics of hitting but George was out there pumping the guys up because he knows it is a game of failure what do you do when you go 0 for 4 and George's philosophy was always if I go 0 for 4 I want to do one thing, even if it's cutting a ball off, even if it's, if it's uh, not taking a ball off of my chest and throwing the guy out at first base. I wanted to do one thing that helped my team win. And if you can stay with that mentality, well, George had it, and he was just a warrior. And I guess the best way you can explain George Brett, he was asked, how do you want your last hit to be? And, you know, most guys would say a walk-off grand slam home run for my final hit. And he said, I wanted to hit a slow roller to second base and bust my tail down the first baseline. And I go, that's George, yeah. you know, a hustler. But it was a ground ball base hit up the middle it in his was. last at, at bat. Let, let's end on this. You mentioned the Negro League Museum, and I try and promote this all the time. You know, we recently had Vita Blue on. Um, Marty Lurie and Vita Blue do the history there uh, of the Negro League inside the, inside the museum. So when I was with the Raiders in Kansas City, I went there, and I'll never forget. I walk up, and the – she was so sweet. She goes, well, you know, for $15, you can also go to the Jazz Museum. And I went, 15 bucks? you kidding me? This is a no-brainer. Yeah. So I highly recommend any baseball fan to go to the Negro League Museum. I mean, you can just get lost in there. It is so cool. And then if you like jazz, right across the way, Ella Fitzgerald's gown and all the jazz greats. I mean, that really is a cool part of Kansas City. I have been there probably 15 times, and mainly because of what you just talked about. When friends come to town, whether they're from the uh, Northern California or Southern California, and they come to Kansas City, they usually say, I want to eat barbecue, and I want to go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And Bob Kendrick, who is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, dear friend, is an ambassador. He is one of the greatest storytellers in 
in, in Kansas City and certainly in American sports, I believe. And just the way he tells stories about old Satchel Paige or Cool Papa Bell or Josh Gibson, it just brings their moments alive. And just about every single team that comes in, four or five players will go down to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and Bob will give them a tour. And we've been able to tag along several times and listen to him. And uh, the old Negro Leagues comes alive in his voice and his passion. And those people who do vacation and come to Kansas City, I really encourage them to go down to 18th and Vine and visit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and also the Jazz Museum. You're the best, and truly thank you for all these years. You've always come on our A's pregame show, and this is this is a new venture we got going. We're the only team, and we have a we have a 24/7 streaming station on the TuneIn app. We're like the guinea pig for Major League Baseball. We have the games on there live too, and pre and post, but. 24-7, we have A's content running in Major League Baseball. Wow. So we're, the, we're the only team that can – you are all – everybody's going to be doing this. This is the – you you can play your classic games. We have all these different podcasts. This I is, love that because yeah. I love the game, and I love to watch some of the old ball games that I saw years ago. I mean, I, I would like to go back and watch the uh, – um, uh, 2014 uh, World, World Series between the Giants and uh, Royals again. And sometimes you have to f find it on venues like this. And if you don't mind, can I promote my books? Yes, go right ahead. Uh, the Walls of Luca and Above the Walls uh, both received gold medals from uh, the uh, Reader Favorites Awards, and they won the Best Historical Fiction for 2018. The Walls of Luca is about two families trying to produce a great Sangiovese wine in Italy's dark days of World War I and the rise of fascism and Mussolini. And Above the Walls picks it up in 1938 when Mussolini ran his, uh, wrote his manifesto of race, solidifying his union with Adolf Hitler. It is, they're both love stories slash historical fiction. And I know what you're saying. You're going, what's a baseball guy writing historical fiction? I love fiction? Are you kidding me? And Shows depth, Fizz. Shows well, depth. You, you know what? I was absolutely shocked when we received good reviews from Kirkus, Blue Ink Review, Reader's Favorite Reader Views, and won some literary awards. And I'm going, well, I think I'll keep writing. So I thought if fans go to Amazon, just type in my name, Steve Fiziok, P-H-Y-S-I-O-C, the books will come up, and uh, you can check them out. And you loved your time here in the Bay Area. I loved it. As a matter of fact, if there was one area that my wife and I would move back to, it's Northern California, and it's because of the people. We still vacation with all of our friends here in town, Jeff and Diana Mason, Brad and Lisa Blackwell, and uh, so many others, and uh, it's just a great community. And um, I just, I, I, I miss the wildlife because when we lived here, I went whitewater rafting. I would hike the uh, the, the canyons in Yosemite. Um, I, I just, I just love the the Northern California feel. By the way, you were you were going pretty good when you were living in Southern California too. We were, <laughs> but if, if it was between the two, yeah. Northern California. And it's also the, the same mentality, the open-mindedness here, the independent thinking. Um, uh, my, my, our son is uh, getting his master's degree at uh, San Francisco State in uh, geography and uh, environmental sciences. He wants to save the planet, and I'm all about that. He's into water conservation, doing metal research. So we're getting off away from baseball, but I love uh, the Bay Area and always have. Thank you so much for coming down. A little, little like a batting practice for you. Exactly. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, we always appreciate the time. He's one of the greats in baseball, and once again, always been so good to us with the A's all of these years coming on, whether it's with the Angels or, or, or with the Kansas City Royals. We're going to be having Chris Davis is going to be showing up here at 445, which is just about now. And Chris starting to get hot. Thank you.
Chris starting to get hot, and we're going to be talking about, hey, you know, there's barely any time left, folks. Are you kidding me? You got three against Kansas City. You got three against Texas. So that's six games, and you got two on the road against Anaheim, eight, and then four more. We only have 12 games left in the 2019. That's, that's just, just crazy. It's mind-blowing. You know the Bible. I call the Bible my scorebook. I'm at the end of it already. I mean, it's just, it's just what a remarkable year once again for the athletics and taking care of business. And they're starting to set things up because I was actually looking at the schedule and I'm thinking, okay, you've got a day off on the 19th and a day off on the 23rd. So essentially, and we'll have the Bob Melvin show tomorrow, and I know Bob's not going to. Bob's not going to want to tell us, but it's like, how are you going to set this up for this one car, this one game wild card? You know, we're not sure about the health of Mike Fires. They're going with a six-man rotation, but you got the two days off. Okay, Chris is going to be a little bit later here. We're finding out. That's okay. We're flexible. We're flexible. But if you if you actually just looked at it, the way the way if if everything stayed on pat, like like. Fires is okay, and he'll take the next spot. If you really looked at it, and they stayed the same and didn't do anything different, Manaya would pitch the very last game of the season. That's how I worked it out with a six-man rotation. So do they want Manaya to be the guy? I've actually been asking around of who do we think should be that guy. And I've had some people say, you know, the one guy who's really a tough guy, and he's pitching some big games, Tanner Roark. I thought that was an interesting comment from a couple people. I've had, had some conversations today. Manaya obviously is hot. Fires has had a great year, but he's been leaking oil here the last couple starts. You know, are we going to continue to see the growth of A.J. Puck and Jesus Lazardo? And all of a sudden, those power arms, arms that play so well, will we see them in a one-game wild card eating up some innings? It could happen. Good news is it's starting to see everybody pitch well again. Starting to see Chris Davis because we, we wonder, can this happen? Are we finally going to see Chris Davis get healthy and start hitting and start hitting home runs? And, and, and what about the bullpen? What are we going to see? Well, everything's starting to get better. And they got 90 wins again, which is just amazing to me. You know, not a lot of people believed in the A's this year, even though last year they won 97 games. And I think I've told this story that someone put it out on Twitter, a bunch of the, uh, a bunch of the writers, and what they predicted. And it's only Jim Bowden from the Athletic, the longtime front office guy who does a great job calling games, and he's also does the Major League Baseball show on SiriusXM. He's the one guy who called for them to be in the wild card. That was it. So even though they won 97 games last year, 97, people didn't believe. And now they've got 90 wins with 12 to play. If they stay really hot, who's to say they can't win? A hunt? Got 12 games. You got 12 games against teams that aren't very good. Kansas City's terrible. Texas, you just took care of them in their home yard. And then you got, I mean, Otani's out, Trout's out. So you got the two against the Angels, and then the Mariners, they're terrible. Could they win 10 out of their last 12 to, to, to 100 games? You could totally see it. I mean, look at this game yesterday. 
Six innings by Manaya, three innings by Jesus Lazardo, gets his first career save, ball game over. Could that be a recipe for the wild card game? Why not? And you always have Liam Hendricks in there just waiting. This has just been a phenomenal. It's a, it's just it, they're a great group of guys. They love each other. They play for each other. And overall, all of them are good dudes to everybody. And that's been one of the fun things about watching this 2019 team. And I want to get back before Chris Davis gets out here, and we'll ask Chris about Marcus Simeon. You can make a case. If you're going to go old, see, there's a difference between new school and old school. New school, hey, who's the best player? He's the MVP. Well, if you're going that way, it's going to be Trout. You're not taking down Trout. And I understand. I understand that that thought. You know, they tried to come up with this Hank Aaron Award for the best offensive player, but that really, I mean, it's cool to win it, but that's not what you're putting on your Hall of Fame plaque. You know, you get judged your greatness by the awards that you win. How many MVP trophies did you win? And that's really what has made Mike Trout so historic. As you look at the start of his career, every single year, this guy is finishing in the top two. He was second. His first full year at 20 years old, he was the runner-up. At 21 years old, he was the MVP. No, actually, he was runner-up. First two years, he was runner-up. Both those years, he easily could have. I'm looking at his numbers. He led baseball in so many different things. It's it's kind of a crime. He didn't win. Then he finally gets the nod at 22 years old. And then the next year, he finishes second. The next year after that, he's the MVP. So the first one, two, three, four, five years of his career, he's either the MVP or the runner-up. That's greatness. And then 2017, he was fourth. And then last year, he was the runner-up again. So... The thing for me is I like to I want to make a case for Marcus, no question, but I don't want Trout. And I know A's fans, you don't care about this, but I, you know, I'm a baseball guy. I I want I want him because he's a player that we've gotten to cover. He's a player that we're going to watch his entire career, and we're watching a guy who's the equivalent of these players we heard of yesteryear that we never got to see play. We didn't get to see Babe Ruth. We didn't get to see Ted Williams. You know, I didn't get to see Willie Mays. I didn't get to see Hank Aaron. I didn't see Mickey Mantle. Didn't get to see those guys. I've read about them. I've been to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I've seen their plaques. I know about their greatness. Because remember, there's Hall of Famers, and then there's the, the Hall of Famers. There's this group that is just different, that they are truly the greats of the game, and this guy is going to be one of those. And so that's why one of the reasons we judge that is on how many MVP awards you win. And I don't want to penalize Mike Trout based off the fact that their general manager and their front offices have not been able to build great baseball teams. That's not Trout's fault. But if you go old school, if you say, listen, I'm going to – oh, I got AceCast rolling on my phone. I'm like, I can hear myself. What is that? So if I'm going to go old school, though, And the old school voting is this. Who do I believe has helped his team the most to get to the postseason or to stay in the pennant race? Now, if I look to Houston, yes, you can go with Bregman, and I bet a lot of people would. But to me, he's a terrific young player, but he's a a part of a big machine. I used to call the big red machine. This is an astro machine. They're still winning without him. 
I don't want to take away from him. He's a great player. But when I'm talking about who's done the most for their team individually to win on an every-game basis, now you could throw it back on me and say, hey, wait a minute, Correa's been out. Bregman moves over to shortstop. Like I said, I'm not trying to take anything away, but I'm trying to build a case for Marcus Simeon. And the way Marcus Simeon fills out the stat sheet is truly incredible. He plays every single day. Hit his 30th home run yesterday. He's a leadoff hitter. You're talking about a leadoff hitter with 115 runs scored. What's the name of the game? Who scores the most runs? He scored 150 runs from the leadoff position. It's been unbelievable. There's the professor, Matt Pearl, the Italian stallion, Joey Libatori. Marcus, I, I, I think it would be incredible for him in his career. Let's say he finished in the top three or top two. That would be that would be pretty special. To think of where Marcus Simeon has gone to being a guy that led the world in errors, then had the wrist injury, to put all of that behind him, to turn himself into one of the best players in the American League. He needs to get votes. If Marcus Simeon was having this kind of year for the Boston Red Sox, if he was having this kind of year for the New York Yankees, who do you think they would be saying is the front runner for the MVP? Now, we know Trout, but I guarantee you, if he was playing in one of those markets and he was having this kind of year, I think what I'd be saying, you'd have a lot more people people echoing the exact same thing. Friend of the program, Bo Taylor will be joining us coming up here at 5 o'clock. Friend of the program, Buster Olney, on his podcast today with Tim Kirchin, they were actually talking about this. And that's good news because, you know, a lot of people around the game listen to Buster's podcast. And they were giving a lot of love to Marcus Simeon. You know, they were talking about Mike Trout, and they were talking about Bregman, exactly what we're talking about right now. I'm giving Simeon more love than they, but at least they were giving him love. At least they're recognizing him. And he should be recognized. This team should be recognized. For God's sakes, look what's going on here. You know, Matt Chapman has got his love. And by the way, I really think they're working hard on an extension with him. Don't be surprised. If we get some news after the postseason, I don't know if it's going to be in November. I don't know if it's going to be at the winter meetings. I just, I'm getting a feeling that Chapman is going to get signed and he's going to sign an extension. You know, it's just smart. I mean, if someone's coming to you and saying, we're going to give you a hundred plus million dollars right now, right now, I want you to think about that. Now, could I wait? Remember, they've got Chapman for years. They don't have to do anything. And Matt Chapman will be what we now call an old free agent. 
He's not one of these guys. You remember, he's a college guy. He's not one of these guys that when he's a free agent, he's going to be 26 years old, and now you're buying up his prime. That's not who he is. Matt Chapman right now is 26 years old, and on baseball reference, he can be a free agent in 2024. So if he wanted to, he could make a lot of money, a la Josh Donaldson, going through the arbitration process every single year, where every single year you've got to put out a number, the team's going to put out a number. He could do that and make a lot of money, or he, he, he could easily in arbitration be getting like 20-something million dollars. But by the time he's, he's a free agent, that's 2024. He's not in his 20s anymore. And what have we seen with baseball with free agents in their 30s? They're not getting the deals they thought they were going to get. So if the A's step up and they say to you, here's $120 million right now, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you an amount that will change your family's lives forever. This is generational wealth. This changes everything. When you sign one of these contracts, and it's one of the reasons why we've seen more guys. If you remember, I had Scott Boris on this program. And Scott Boris, I said, hey, Scott, you know, they've had more, uh, we've had more extensions than ever. And I don't think you can say that. I'm like, Scott, come on. We're seeing the majority of players, they do not want to go to free agency. They just don't want to do it. And these teams are smart. And, it, and, it, and the union doesn't like it. The union wants everybody to test free agency and drive up the market. But I do understand, like, think, think how things have changed. When you were having these battles between baseball and the players' union all these years, players weren't making this kind of money. The average salary wasn't, wasn't what it is now. You didn't have $100 million contracts. God, I remember in the late 80s. Think about this, the late 80s, when guys like, who did it start with? One was Ricky, one was Jose, Kirby Puckett, Will Clark. There was a couple of these guys. They were signing. They were making $4 million a year. Four, and it was like, oh, my God, these guys are making $4 million. $4 million. They were the highest paid players in the history of the game, making $4 million. How, you know how archaic that sounds now? Marco Estrada signed for $4 million and he barely even played for the A's this year. You got middle relievers making more than Ricky Henderson, one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time. So now that you have this kind of money going on, that's why I, I do not think in any way we're going to have another labor problem. They're trying to build it up, but think of all these players that have signed extensions. Why are they, why are they going to want to not get paid you don't play you don't get paid everybody's worried about the veteran guys well you know what the veteran guys they screwed this system up years ago they set the system up this or this whole six years arbitration all this kind of stuff they agreed to all of that years ago so that when you were a free agent you could get paid well years ago when we had the tv revolution and all of a sudden now in the 90s we started seeing these crazy tv contracts and we saw these new ballparks popping up everywhere, baseball teams became flush with cash. So they would sign a guy who's 30, 31 to a multi-year deal. 
But now with analytics, and we have these smarter front offices, they know that as these, it, it's better not to pay guys for what they used to do. Rather pay them now for what they're doing and eat up some of their free agent years. Pay the guys now while they're productive. And it's going to be happening all over baseball because you have more great young players than I can remember in the game. The guys that are 25 and younger who are just, they're just incredibly talented and fearless. So why not pay them now? Why not pay Matt Chapman now? Why not pay Matt Olson now? This is going to be something as we're waiting for Bo Taylor. This is going to be something that I'm going to start championing a little bit more is Matt Olson. I understand how important Matt Chapman is, but I don't really know that you can say that Matt Chapman is more important than Matt Olson. And most people wouldn't have thought that going into this year. Because remember, he was the Platinum Gold Glove winner, and we heard all that. If you're not paying attention to how special Matt Olson is, look at the team's record when he's out, and look at the team's record when he's in. We talked about Marcus playing in every single game. I don't think a lot of people think about Matt Olson playing in every single game. 162 last season. And he'd probably be doing it this year. But in 116 games, he's hit 34 home runs. 34 home runs in 116 games. His OPS is 913. His OPS plus 142. That average 100, he's at 142. It's amazing the season he's having. And if he stays hot, is it possible he can get to 100 RBIs? He's at 83 right now. If he still starts knocking them in in bunches, can he get to 40? There's 12 games left. Can he get to 40 and 100? I want you to think about that. This is a guy who broke his hamate bone. He broke his hand. And if he stays hot and he's 20, he's 25, he's younger than Chapman. I do think Chapman's important. I think what Chapman br- Chapman brings Chapman brings an element and what, what what makes him very very special. It's just not it's just not the stats. Matt Chapman brings the Barney badass attitude every day. Chapman's a tough guy. You need tough guys to win. What was it, two years ago when Chapman was getting into it with the catcher for the Angels? Like, who's this young guy? Well, he doesn't play like a young guy. He doesn't feel like a young guy. Somebody's got to give you toughness. And that's one of the reasons why Matt Chapman needs to be inked up, because he's a winner. He's a winning ball player. He's the guy when Mike Fires throws the no-hitter that he didn't care he went 0 for 4. He was so excited for Mike Fires. He's a team guy. And I can tell you, Bob Melvin, Matt Williams, the coaching staff, they love him because of that. 
So I understand what he brings to the table and he brings to the party on an everyday basis. But I think we need to understand Matt Olson's that guy too. And when you have a first baseman that is that great defensively and is this productive offensively, he's just 25 years old. He's 25 years old, and he already has a 87 home runs on the season. I mean, on, on his career. You know how fast he's going to get to 100 home runs? And just think as he gets better at 26, 27, 28, like we're seeing Marcus at 28, you could have the most premier power-hitting defensive wizard first baseman in all of baseball. I know it's going to be expensive, but I think of these two guys, I know Chapman is a priority. Olsen, I think we, I think everybody, including, and I'm sure Billy Bean and David Force know this, but I think they all need to realize that this guy is super valuable too. And I don't know if Chapman is more valuable than him. When you play that great a defense at first base, you hit the ball out of the ballpark and you drive in runs like he does, that's pretty darn valuable. And you just look at all the you look at all the young talent going around. It's like stupid the young talent. You saw Lazardo yesterday. How about Sean Murphy? He started his career out nine for seventeen. That's a five twenty nine average, four doubles, three homers, and eight runs scored. Is that any good? And I told you how good Matt Olson's going. If Matt Olson played the entire season, I think we'd be talking about him as an MVP candidate. Because he's helping carry this team into the postseason. Hitting 328, eight homers, 17 RBIs in his last 16 games. That's big league stuff right there. And it's been a lot of fun to watch, I can tell you that. And the dominance at the Coliseum. As, as we are trending to a one-game playoff, hopefully going to be here in Oakland. The A's have won 29 of their last 39 games at the Coliseum. They have been getting it done. And they only have six games left here at the Coliseum. I want to say seven because I want to think that that wild card game is going to be here. But taking care of your own business, the best thing about what the A's have going right now is that the A's control their own destiny. So there could be some clinching coming up here. Let me give you some scenarios. So the Yankees can clinch a postseason berth tomorrow with a win over the Angels and an Indians loss to the Tigers. The Astros can clinch a postseason berth tomorrow with a win over the Rangers and the Indians lost to the Tigers. Yankees can clinch the AL East as early as Wednesday. Astros can clinch Wednesday. Braves can clinch the NL East as early as Wednesday. The Twins can clinch the AL Central as early as Friday. The Cardinals can clinch a postseason berth as early as Friday. How about the Dodgers? The Dodgers with the ability to clinch home field for the National League. These playoffs are going to be great. The Dodgers can clinch a home field advantage through the NLCS, NLCS as early as Friday. That's how dominant they have been. Cardinals can clinch the Central as of Saturday. 
Let's see, for the wild card, if I can find those magic numbers. All right, here we go with the magic number. So the magic number right now for the Oakland Athletics is 10. The magic number for the Rays is 11. Who's going to blink? Who is going to blink down the stretch? Because, you, you, you know, you just wish there was more games this season because could the A's actually start to reel in the Houston Astros a little bit? But it's just not. I mean, you got 12 games and you're seven and a half behind. It's not going to happen. So you got a game and a half lead for the wild card on Tampa. And Tampa has a game and a half lead on the Cleveland Indians. But this is all you could ask for. After not getting out to a great start, having your own destiny in your own hands, that's where the A's are right now. They have their own destiny in their hands. Because the toughest part, and we've talked over the years about this, the toughest part is when you need other people to do stuff for you. And that's exactly what happened in 2012. We kept looking up, okay, who are the Texas Rangers playing? And you're a fan of that team. Because you you needed the Rangers. So people had to be – you had to take care of your business and the Rangers – you needed people to beat them, and they started leaking oil, and that's exactly what happened. I just want to take a look at the schedule remaining. So this is no day at the beach for the Rays. This is how they're going to close their season out. Two against the Dodgers down at Dodger Stadium. Then they've got a four-game set at Fenway Park. Hopefully Boston's not going to lie down and they're still going to play hard. They're definitely a team with the World Series hangover, no question about it. And then a place, well, actually, you know what? They're at home. Four against Boston at home, and then they'll play two against the New York Yankees at home, and then they finish on the road against one of our new favorite teams, the Baby Jays. Because you know the Baby Jays, they're all about winning right now. They're all about getting better. They're all about putting up stats. They're not going to be. They're 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 not going to be easy. I mean, I, I I would take the A schedule with Kansas City, Texas Angels, and Mariners remaining. I'd take that versus Dodgers, Red Sox, Yankees. Because it's not like, it's not like Boston is awful. They're seventy nine and seventy. They're still over five hundred. It's just they have those high expectations. I think that GM search has been pretty interesting, or however they're, they're going to try and replace Dave Dombrowski. There's been some names out there, and already some names have said, eh. Think about taking a job like that right now with the Boston Red Sox. Dave Dombrowski just took you and won a World Series, and you fire him the next season before the end of the year. One of the most well-respected men in the business, a guy that will probably – get into the Hall of Fame as an executive, and you fired him. How are you feeling if you're taking over that job right now? What do you think the, ex- the expectation you're, – you're, and, you know, the expect- – I have no problem with expectations be to win the World Series every single year. Obviously, that's not attainable. You want that. But what, what, what's Boston's expectations going forward? And maybe what they they need to find somebody that can help rebuild their farm system. 
But that is always that's see that that is the dance that is so tough when you spend a lot of money, you got veteran players, you've traded young guys to help you win, and then you do win, and then now your players continue to get older, your players continue to get expensive, and then you don't have the farm system. So what do you do? That's why I've said about the Phillies. I've said that about the San Francisco Giants. I was on this giant thing years ago. When you continue to trade away people and you continue to try and save a team, that's what happened with the Phillies back in the day. Now, they're a terrific team. They went to back-to-back World Series. They beat the Rays in 08, and they lost to the Yankees in 09. But what they continue to do, they tried to save a veteran team. And you start trading away all your pieces, and next thing you know, you look up, you're old, you're expensive, and you got nothing in the farm system, you're cooked. The ship sinks. It's exactly what happened to the San Francisco Giants. And they had this little run this year, and everybody tried to get all excited, and who was sitting here telling you it's a mirage? That boat is not just sunk, it's at the bottom. It's at the bottom of the ocean. And Farhan's got nothing in the farm system coming up to help them. Giants are going to be bad for years. And I know some of my giant people are going to be like, oh, you're just the A's. Okay. Going into this year, the Giants were 61 games under 500 since the 2016 All-Star break. 61, that's not a small sample size. And where are the Giants this year? 72 and 78. So the amount of under 500 baseball they have played since the All-Star break of 2016, it's not good. They've been bad. And, oh, by the way, that team that sits atop of your division that's got 97 wins already, do you think the Dodgers are not going to dominate this division for the next five years, ten years? Dodgers got money. Dodgers are smart. They may not win the World Series. They're going to be in the postseason every year because they got more young players coming up. That is scary. I mean, really scary to think how talented that. That's one of those things, and it's kind of the Astros are the same way. The good news for the athletics is that we have a bunch of young talent that now is here, and it's going to be some great battles with the Houston Astros. Astros are not going anywhere, folks. They're going to be good for years, but so are the A's. When you think of the talent at third, the talent at first, the new, the new talent behind the dish and Sean Murphy, you know, Ramon Laureano out in center field. And I know everybody is super, super excited. I mean, you got Lazardo, you got Puck, you got Manaya, you got a bunch of young pitchers. The A's are set up for a run. The Astros are already in their run. And technically, you know what? The A's are in their run, too. As the A's winning 97 games last year, and let's see what they do this year. Bo Taylor is supposed to be joining us at, at some point. Thanks, Joey. At some point, yeah. Chris Davis is at 445. Bo Taylor was at 5. We can't play commercials. Just keep dancing and talking, right? Just keep dancing and talking. Thanks, Joey. You're the best. All right, so a couple of things that we can also get into today. And it was, you know, w watching what we're watching right now is something that is very unique. Both teams are on the field as we speak. 
So the athletics came out. We got word yesterday uh, that the, the teams were not going to take batting practice. It was going to be too hard to get the field converted to be able to do batting practice. So the A's came out early, took infield practice. Some fly balls were hit. But now the A's are still on the field down the left field line. Guys are playing catch. Blake trying and throwing a bullpen. And now the Royals have come out on the field. And the Royals are now taking infield practice. You know, this is you know this is something that uh, you don't see very often. Two Major League Baseball teams on the field at the same time warming up for a game. But obviously, because of the Raider game yesterday, and it's just so hard to convert this field. You would have thought that back in 1995, you know, the technology was still technology was still pretty good in 1995 you thought they would have come up with a more efficient and a better way to convert baseball to football once they built mount davis you thought there would have been a better way a faster way a more efficient way and unfortunately that is not the case and you know the scheduling has been what it is the scheduling has been, at times, can be a disaster. And part of that, no question, is on the Raiders. Because the Raiders messed around with all these different places where they were going to play. Right? There was the rumors that they could play their games in Arizona. There was rumors they could play their games over at uh, Oracle Park. Even San Jose State got brought up. Stanford would have, n- Stanford would have no part of it. Cal... It was already in the deal with Cal would never do something like that. So there was, you know, then they talked about, hey, maybe they play multiple games in London. Maybe it's two games in London, two games in Mexico City, you know. So the, the Raiders didn't get the schedule out. They didn't have it. They couldn't, they couldn't officially give the, the schedule because Major League Baseball has to work around it. So if you remember, the Raiders went to Winnipeg. The reason why, they were supposed to be playing here at the Coliseum, but because – they did their deal so late with the JPA that baseball had to put their schedule out. And so the Raiders were, you know, you're out of luck. you got to go find some place to play. Now, from my understanding, Winnipeg pay, paid a lot of money to have them play, so they basically took care of their uh, home rent. Winnipeg paid for the 2019 season, supposedly. But, yeah, this is the last time we're ever going to see football on a baseball diamond and that by the way is going to be great for the athletics going forward up until they move into the new ballpark at 2023 so clay would you know because as much as they have the issues as we talked to clay earlier as much as there's the issues with the turf and being below sea level well when there's not football going on people will tell you that this is the best playing surface in all of baseball like the grass is perfect i mean really when you go out there like you walk around if you ever get a chance because i know people get a chance you know you start running the bases and and you get a chance to come out and you know like on sundays where they have uh they have parents be able to play catch with their kids out in left field you look at the you look at the outfield or the infield it's like a fairway in golf i mean it is absolutely perfect 
And that's why you got the big chunks everywhere because the football players, they, they have digging it up. But, yeah, the, the field is, is absolutely perfect. And now that that's what we're going to have. I want to talk about Mike Trout because, obviously, I wasn't working the night the report came out about Mike Trout. And that's, you know, you're not going to see Otani. You're not going to see Trout. And when they go down to take on the Angels – next Tuesday and Wednesday. But that's something that you never want to see with an all-time great. And so Morton's neuroma is what he has. It's basically the thickening of tissue around the nerves in the ball of his right foot. And they have tried to do everything. They have tried to do everything to make this thing happen. And this is what Trout had to say. I kind of knew when I first got my MRI a few weeks ago that I would probably need surgery at the end of the year to get it removed. Just got worse. We tried everything. The training staff has been awesome. Some days it, it would feel good. Some days, once the thing cleared up, it was tough to walk on. Trout was scheduled to fly with the team to New York on Sunday, decided not to. He also said, quote, it just didn't get better. It's been that way for a couple weeks. We tried injections. We tried the cryobulation. That's a cold fluid. Thought that would help. As soon as I went out there and started running, it flares up. After it clears up in about 30, 40 minutes, it's tough to walk on. So Trout... Does he end with enough to be the MVP? And I think a lot of us are going to say yes. I mean, it was another just phenomenal season for a player that is an all-time great. He finishes with 45 jacks, 104 RBIs, 110 runs scored, <laughs> and over 1,000 OPS. Now that is a phenomenal year. Bo Taylor, what's shaking, my man? Welcome to A's Cast Live. What's going on? Welcome back. Thank you. How great was it to get that call that you're coming back? It was amazing. Uh, I was super excited. Uh, sitting on the golf course, <laughs> and I found out I was super excited. You know, because you're a guy, you know, they talk about people that just fit in the room, and that's one thing we talked about, Bob Melvin, with you. You fit in this clubhouse. Talk about that. I mean, I've known pretty much everybody on this team for years now, and we've played together. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a good connection that I have with these group of guys, the pitching staff and the whole offensive staff and then the coaching staff also. Yeah, because that's, you know, at this time of year, continuity is everything. And as you're battling to go to the postseason and you have a game-and-a-half lead on the wild card, you know, the number one thing is to get that game and to get that game back here at the Coliseum. Oh, yes. Exactly. How strange is it with the whole football thing? It is. No, I, this is actually my first time seeing it like this. I, I came out here earlier, and, I mean, I'm surprised at the actual work that they did to this field. It looks it looks good where it was at before. Yeah, okay, so, like, this side right here where we are, so our stage that we have here for A's Cast Live is right next to the A's dugout, and that obviously is the home side of the Raiders. Yeah. So I also do the radio for the Raiders. So, like, literally 24 hours ago, I was right here doing the sidelines, and we had a full-on game going on. Jesus. And in 24 hours, here we have baseball. Yep. Magical thing about the stadium. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it is crazy. 
Yeah, so have you walked around, checked it out? How does it look to you? No, it, it looks it, it looks playable. That's the biggest thing. I mean, uh, just from when I saw this uh, earlier when I first got here, it, it looks night and day already. So when you start to think about where this team is mentally, the team obviously is hot. You just sweep the series in Texas. You know, you take three out of four in Houston. That was only the second series loss at home for the Houston Astros. Where's the vibe right now? Get in everybody's head. What's it like right now in that clubhouse? Uh, it's pretty much everybody's pushing each other right now, and it's like it's confidence. That's the biggest thing that I see going on on the field. Everybody has tons of confidence. If they don't get it done at that at bat, the next guy's got your back. And the same thing with the pitching staff. If, if the first guy's struggling maybe a little bit, the second guy's going to come in and close the door. That's what we feel. We're like we're leaning on each other and all in the right ways. You know, there was a great line by Glenn Kuyper when he talked about one of the games in Texas, and he, he says to Ray Fossey, he goes, would you have thought back in April that you'd have Sean Murphy on second, Seth Brown on third, and, uh, and Sheldon, hitting. And Sheldon, and hitting, Sheldon hitting, hitting in a big game? Yep. And, and, and Ray was like, wow, I didn't even think about that. I mean, think about where this team, from where it started to where these young players are really helping out this push. Yeah, it's it's amazing to sit back and watch, too, because it's, it's, that's how great Oakland is with their minor league organizations on developing players and then getting them right, and especially when they come out here in the big-time show, like they're ready. They know what to expect. It's just calming down the nerves a little bit. But I know it's incredible to see what everybody's doing right now. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been trying to ask people, you know, there's so many good young players in the game. There's so many good guys 25 and younger. When we're getting into guys who are 20, 21, 22, why do you think young players are so confident when they come up now to the big leagues? I think it's just the way that they're seeing, like, the other big league players, and they're, they're, they know what to expect from them. And it's, it's the leadership from the older guys shining down on the lower guys and t showing them what to expect. And they're, they're re respecting the game more right now, I feel like. And do you think that there's also this, the showcases, the tournaments, all the stuff that the, the, these kids do now that they didn't do before maybe prepares them more for something like this? I think so. I mean, you have more professional athletes out there now, especially with uh, social media pushing out there for camps and stuff. So guys are actually seeing what to expect earlier at 12, 13, 14 years old when they have a professional guy come in town and show them what, what they've learned. Tell me about what you're seeing with Sean Mania, because ever since he's come back, I mean, he's just been he's he's been ace-like. Yeah, nah, he's been electric. He's going out there just attacking the zone, going the way that he knows how to pitch with his strengths, and he, he's not afraid to get out there on the mound and come in on somebody. You know, the thing for me, for him, the way he comes from the side, mm -hmm. it's always been when he's at his best, he's on top of the ball. That allows him to get the slider, the changeup. Because it's easy to get under the ball when you throw like that and everything starts tailing on you. Do you notice that with him? You know, when he's on top of the ball, boy, the way his pitches work for him are so much better. It does, and it definitely does. And that's what's been – he's been working on that the past year. Especially, I mean, coming back, it's tough for him. But now he's repeating his delivery all the time right now and making sure that he's staying on top. But even if he gets underneath it, he'll have a good miss. He'll have a good miss up in the zone. Like, he'll feel it, and he's like, okay, i got to miss this up. Or the slider, he'll make make sure it's up out of the zone, or yeah, it's a complete ball out of hand. So since he's coming from that more down arm slot, is he is he tough to pick up for hitters? Yes, yeah, it's really tough. Like it's 90 miles an hour is playing probably up 95, 96. That's what it feels like in the box. You could tell by a lot of the swings too, especially yesterday's game. Like he was just blowing by guys, and it was saying 90, and it is. It's it's very deceptive. Yeah, people don't like explain what that 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 means. Like 
Well, it's 90 on the gun, but the hitter seems like 94, 95. It's because you can't pick it up. That's the biggest thing, especially being a, being a lefty. It, he hides the ball really well, and he steps across his body, and it's coming at you, especially from that arm angle. It's, it's tough to see, so, yeah, it'll say 90, but it, just because you don't see it, you're not picking it up sooner like normal, and that's when it feels like 95 on you. All right, let's go through some of the youngsters here. What's it like to catch A.J. Puck? It's fun. It's fun. It, it, he's coming at you, so you definitely got to be ready. Anything's coming at you, and it's it's coming in hard and hard and heavy. Yeah, he looks like he, you know, because his size, it's got like that Randy Johnson effect. Yeah, you're 60 feet, 6 inches, but when you're that tall, I mean, he's rele it seems like he's releasing the ball right into your glove. That, that's exactly what it feels like. It, it, it's so much stuff coming at you, and I feel like when the ball leaves at hand, I, I swear I hear like a smack. Like it's just – Everything's super whippy, and it comes right at you. Okay, and then you got a shorter guy in Jesus Lazardo. What's it like catching him? It's it's a little magical catching him because he, he can throw anything at any time also, and he'll slide step, he'll pause, and I'm, I'm waiting to see. He's got a 68, 69-mile-an-hour curveball that's impressive, and then he'll throw a 68-mile-an-hour curveball, then an 85, and then he'll bump 98. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty tough. <laughs> I mean, it, it is hard to throw a ball that slow. Yep. That's like with like with Chris Bassett's curveball that's like 70-71. He goes, I'm throwing it as hard as I can. Yep. So to, to have that, to have a change, what did you say, 60 what? 68-69. We call it the turkey sub. That's been the, the term for it. It's like an EFIS pitch. It is, yep. So if you can throw 98 and go all the way down to 68, and you could do that all the time. Yep. Like as a hitter, how would you hit that? It's, I mean, it's they're not expecting that. You're you're ready for 98 coming at you, and then he flips in 68, and you get, you get shocked. Like he does, you freeze in the box a little bit. But, but that that's the most impressive thing. He's just super back and forth with the hitters, and he's coming at you. I remember they talked about that earlier this year with one one of the position players came into pitch, and he was throwing like. 58 and they're like the guys that you just can't you, you haven't seen that since like little league yep. and you talk about that it's like so hard to like sit back and wait that that's kind of a weapon it throwing is. that slow it's under the hitting hitting speed it was funny i i actually pitched this year and i thought throwing below the hitting speed was gonna be a good thing but josh naylor took me about like 520 feet out so <laughs> the hitting speed didn't work for me right there was that down triple A? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't count. That no. year, this year? No. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 when you start hitting like 2,000 more home runs than the year before, yeah. at what point do you go, something's going on here? I know. It, it was fun, though. It was, it was definitely a, a learning experience and a different, different game playing down there in Vegas. Yeah, how tough is it to get a pitcher through a game when, you know, there's, there's games where there's 8 to 11 home runs in the game? Yeah, I feel like catching a shutout is like the most – incredible thing down there to do there in the PCL right now. Everybody's hitting. Yeah, and then, then you you ask, okay, what's real? Like, what, what what can you believe? Is a bunch of these guys got seven and eight ERAs? Are they really that bad? And then you got these guys that are putting up Babe Ruth-like numbers. Are they that good? It's like, how did you look at it playing down there? I mean, I still feel like if you if you're hitting 30 home runs, you're still you're you're still definitely hitting the ball hard. I mean, you can't take anything from Seth at all with 37 home runs and Sean and uh, I said Sean Payton, uh, Mark Payton this year too. It's just it, it was it, the ball is definitely flying a little bit further, but their swings are they're going right towards the ball. You know, we heard Murphy was good. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I didn't realize was how big he is. He's a big boy. Yeah, I was he like, wow. Boy. I mean, and as a catcher. Yep. 
you know, talk about what you've seen with him, just his all-around game, defensively, offensively, the whole thing. He works very hard at what he does. He, he's trying to perfect his craft, and it's, it's, it's fun to watch, especially he's one of my best friends. And we go back and forth and tell trying to trying to improve each other. But, I mean, he's, he's gained so much, and he, he is a, he's big. He, and he puts so much strength in his swing. Like, I mean, he's in every, every ball is over 100 miles an hour, I feel like. Yeah, he's hitting 529 already. <laughs> I know. So it's I'm happy he's my friend and I'm playing on the same team as him. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, he's a special talent. And it's hard to believe there's only 12 games left. Yeah, I know. I know it feels like a long year, but only 12 left right now. There's 12. This is the last homestand. You got three games here, three games against Texas, and then uh, hopefully the next time we see it will be for a one-game wild card. I know. I know. That's exciting to think about. Do you guys talk about that at all? Uh, it's not really the talking about it. It's just it's the way we walk around the clubhouse. Like we know, like we want this. Like we really, really want this, and we're expect we're expecting to do this. I ask people all the time. You watch the scoreboard, and they always say no. And I want to go. You're lying. Yeah. Come on. You guys watch the scoreboard, oh, right? We do. We definitely do. But it's keeping quiet. Yeah. Because because right now, I mean, every single time I look, I want what, what's Tampa Bay doing? Yeah. What are the Rays doing? And and the thing about the Rays, give them credit for the most part. You guys win, they win. Yeah. I mean, that's just it, it, it is a dogfight down down. I mean, this thing really could come down to the final weekend against the Seattle Mariners, which would be fun. I, I don't want to see that. I'd like to see the separation yeah. because you know, you got two days off coming up here. You mm -hmm. got the day off on Thursday and then the day off Monday, which don't you think that will kind of be able to give the front office and Bob and Emo an opportunity to kind of line up, whoa, what, you know, what are you going to do for that one game wild card? I haven't. I have not even thought about that. But I mean, that's a, that that works. That it does work, and it, it, for them to plan on what we got to do, so mean to do for the future. So, I think it'll help. Yeah, we'll end on this. How many times have you ever seen in the big leagues you had two teams warming up at the same time on the same field? This is the first time. Uh, oh yeah, this is definitely the first time. Yeah, because they were taking ground ball. You guys were out in left field playing catch. They're yeah. taking ground balls on the field. You're like, wait a minute, I've never seen this before. Crazy things happened here in Oakland. So. Hey, thank you so much for stopping by. We appreciate it. Thank and uh, good luck in these next 12. And thank you. Uh, let's get that. You know how rocking this place will be for that one game wild card? I know. Oh, I know. I'm waiting to see it. It'll be really yeah, loud. It good luck the next thank 12. You. Yeah. 12. I mean, it's, it's, it's still mind blowing the fact that uh, we only have 12 games left. All right. Good luck today. We'll thank talk you. to you. Thank Bo you. Taylor doing a great job with the Oakland Athletics. You know how much they dig him here, and they, they want to bring him back and how, how well he works with the pitchers. All righty. Are we buying or selling, or what are we doing here? What do we got going? I don't even know how long. What are we going till? We are going till uh, 55. We can buy and sell. Um, fun thing is the It's uh, time for <laughs> buying <laughs> or selling. Okay, let's explain. What is Chris Towns. What's happened today? Uh, the Mondays. We're calling this a case of the Mondays? Yeah, the equipment had a case of the Mondays. So we can't fire off any commercials? No can't sound. Can't fire off sound? Yeah. I suppose it happens. But the most important thing is is people can hear you, right? That's the most important thing. Have you figured it out? Yeah, we know what the issue is. The problem is we can't fix it right now. Okay. Yeah. Were we able to uh, tape the guest? Yeah, everything's good. So I'll be, able to I'll be able to use the guest for pregame coming up here? Yep. Okay. All right. That's all I care about. Yeah. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm uh, I'm wonderful. There's 12 games left. There's 12 games left. Pretty crazy. The year's gone by fast. With a game and a half lead over the Rays. That's not going to be Dodger Stadium. 
coming home against the Red Sox and the Yankees, they they they, they got it tough. The Rays got it tough. We were talking about it in the office today. It used to be, what, five, six years ago, 90 games. You're thinking about winning the division. Oh, yeah, that's not even close now. Now, <laughs> now. now I think the magic number is nine. So 99 games, 99 wins to clinch the number one wild card spot. So last year, what did the Yankees have? It was 100 and whatever they had, like, yeah. like 101 or 102, something like that. And then the A's being 97, it by far was the best combined record ever for a wild card game. Isn't that remarkable? To think you got a team with 100 wins and a team for with 97 wins and that they have to play in a one-game wild card. Well, the problem is you got so many bottom feeders – and you really have to feast on the bottom feeders. I mean, you like you look at the A's. The A's at 90 wins right now. Let's say they don't lose, was it seven games to the uh, Toronto Blue Jays? Let's say they go four and three against them. Well, now you'd be at 94 wins. With 12 to play, you're easily getting over 100. So that's the one thing. Dominate at home and dominate against the bad teams, and you're going to win easily 100 games. And that's weird to say. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I forgot who said it, but you win 40, you lose 40, and it's what you do with the you know, the other 82 games that you play. Well, for the next few years, we're still going to be seeing these teams, whether it's the Orioles, whether it's the Tigers, whether it's the Royals. I mean, the, the, these guys are going to lose 100. The Kansas City Royals, they're going to have, like, what, four teams lose 100 games? You've got to, you've got to feast off those guys because yeah. it's not easy to always beat the good teams. It's nice, but – you play well in division, you play well at home, and you smack around the bad guys, and next thing you know, you're easy. I don't want to say easily winning 100. You're easily winning 90. I mean, look at the A's. There's 12 games left. I could see the A's winning 10 out of the last 12 and winning 100 games. That could happen. That's pretty incredible. You ready for buying or selling? Let's do it. We had the Buying uh, or selling. <laughs> All right, first question. Eugenio Suarez will be the only player to hit 50 home runs this year. Red third baseman. Eugenio Suarez on a bit of a hot streak since the second half began. During the first half of the season, he only hit 20 home runs only and drove in 54. During the second half, he has 27 homers, and he's driven in 46 in less than 100 at-bats. He is currently at 47 homers, now tied with the polar bear, Pete Alonzo. And uh, Suarez now shares the top spot for most homers in a season by a Venezuelan player since Andres Galarraga, who had 47 with the Rockies in 96. Yeah, see what Trout out now, Yelich out now. But I, the polar bear is gonna. I'm, I'm selling. Polar bear is gonna beat him out. I, the, the, what about Jorge Soler? Well, you just said you said he's gonna. He, he'll be the only player to hit 50. I think there'll be more than one player to hit 50. Yeah, I mean, there's a good shot. Yeah. So, I mean, so, yeah, Soler, Kansas City might even know, hit over 50. You think about Pete Alonso's year, coming into the big leagues and having a year. I mean, this is a. The Mets, you know, they're starting to leak oil again. It's like funny. It's like they get back in it, and then they're out. Then they get back in it, and then they're out. What's incredible, too, is they got back in it by beating a good Diamondbacks team who was also contending, and they took the Diamondbacks right off of the race by beating them. I think they swept them in New York. So And convincingly, 10-1, 10-0, and then all of a sudden they're leaking oil immediately again. But to have a year that he is having as a rookie, he doesn't look like a rookie. And I, and I know I think at the end of this year a lot of us are going to say – you know, we'll be looking at these numbers, and, you know, we'll be looking, you know, it's it's the ball. it's uh, But still, the the way he attacks his at-bats and what I've watched, this isn't just the ball. I mean, this guy's a player. 
right? Right. Remember when you first started watching Paul Goldschmidt, you went, yep. this, 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 this right-handed hitting for a spaceman is legit." Yeah. I think Pete, Pete, Pete's legit. And he has a track record of it too. Before the ball was changed, even the minor leagues, he dominated. I mean, he, he's a legit player. Question two: Buying or selling that Mike Trout will still win his third MVP award? He's the front runner for the AL MVP. Uh, once the season, I mean, his season is over, and he's still the front runner right now. Uh, he had a minor procedure on his foot to help with pain he was dealing with, as you alluded to earlier in the show. In his eight full MLB seasons, Trout was once again putting on an MVP caliber year. He will finish 2019 with a 291 average, uh, 45 home runs, 104 RBI, 110 runs scored in 134 games. Bregman, who's also potentially a contender for the MVP award in the AL, is batting 295 with 36 home runs and 104 RBI on the year. Buying or selling that Mike Trout will still win his third MVP award. Well, I was trying to make the case that if you weren't going to just say who's the best player, because lately the way the voting has been going, who's the best player? He wins the MVP. So I'm buying because that's how they're going to vote. But if we were going old school and we're saying, okay, who helped his team the most? Who was the most valuable player? Because are you a valuable player on a team that stinks? No. You're just a you're you're a you're a great player putting up big numbers, but your team's not winning. Not your fault. You're not the GM. You don't decide, right? You're not deciding the pitching. You're not deciding any of that. Guys getting hurt. But if you went old school, buying or selling, Marcus Simeon would be your MVP. I would probably buy that. Now, easily, if I'm a, if I'm an Astros person, I can say, well, wait a minute. Look at the year Bregman's having. Look at the numbers. He, he goes over and plays shortstop when, when Correa's been out multiple times this year. That's pretty valuable. I, 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 there could be a really good debate because of Marcus's leading off, playing every game, playing shortstop, the home runs, the run scored, the RBIs, the, the rock of the clubhouse. Uh, to me, uh, uh, to, to me Breg- and also Bregman, you could say, is a part of a machine, that machine – are they winning without Bregman? I still think they win without yeah. Bregman. Yep. I think it could be a hell of a debate if you really lined up Simeon and Bregman and said who is the actual most valuable player. I agree. There's a lot of good players in the AL that are also having good years that you don't even mention. Like Jose Abreu, he's leading the league in RBIs, 116 with 33 homers and 285 average. They're not even being considered. But also he plays first base, not on a winning team. Mike Trout, not on a winning team, but he plays great defense in addition to his offense. So, Who's your favorite team? Don't have one. Well, I do have one now. It's the A's. Who's your favorite team? It's the A's. Who's your boyhood team? It's the uh, my boyhood team. Now, that's a different question. <laughs> 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 but it still makes the case. He's a leader in the RBI category, which obviously, and he's a top leader in OPS, too. Yeah, he's, he's, he's phenomenal. But he's a first baseman. Are you going to give uh, the AL MVP? I mean, Miguel Cabrera won it, but he was also a Triple Crown winner. Well, Defense plays a bigger factor now, I think, into the voting than it probably ever has, right? I tell you what, if our guy didn't get hurt in Japan, I think Matt Olson would be. Because yeah. Matt Olson would have over 40 home runs. He'd have way over 100 RBIs, and he's going to win the gold glove again. Yeah, I was about to say, he's also a transformational first baseman when it comes to playing defense. He's not over there just making the routine plays. He has. You think about how second base has gone defensively for the A's oh this God. year, how many runs he has p- potentially saved. He's transformational at first base when it comes to defense. He's a lot more than just offense for this team. You know, you think of 
I think the great defensive first baseman, you think of like Don Mattingly, you think of Keith Hernandez, J.T. Snow when he was playing for the Giants and the Angels, he was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, this guy's as good as those guys. He's as good as any of those guys. Yeah. And none of those guys hit like he does when it comes to hitting the ball out of the ballpark. It's true. Well, we talked a lot about the uh, AL wildcard race today. Switch over to the NL. Buying or selling that the Brewers will make the playoffs. The Brewers were the talk of baseball last year as they made it into the NLCS versus the Dodgers and lost in seven games. Yelich was the MVP, and they were supposed to be the favorites this year. Well, Christian Yelich is now out for the season, and the Brewers' season is looked over. And with another comeback win yesterday, the Brewers are now 11-3 and this month and one game behind the Cubs for the second wild card. Now with the news of Rizzo potentially out for a week or two, buying or selling that the Brewers will make the playoffs. Yeah, that's interesting. Rizzo, would they say it's black and blue all over his ankle? Like, it's yeah. really bad. Like, he may not even play again. So right now, Washington. They did say, though, he doesn't need surgery. They uh, said it's a it's an ankle sprain. He doesn't need surgery. He's in a walking boot, and they'll reevaluate him in seven days. Seven days, like a week. That's a how week. this is. This is what you call a high, high ankle sprain. And Ian Happ is the one that replaced Rizzo on first base now. Okay, so you got Washington has the lead right now, a game and a half, and then it's the Cubs who've just gone five and five in their last ten. And then the Brewers have won nine out of their last ten. The Cubs are also without Javier Baez right now, too. Yeah. I'm going to buy. I'm going to go Brew Crew. Over I, the Cubs? I'm going to say they sneak in. And it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be Washington against the Brewers at the Nats ballpark on August, no, October 1st. Because the Tuesday is the wild card game for, for the National League. American League is October 2nd on Wednesday. But what happens? Because I've only cared about... Our deal? What happens if Washington, Chicago, and Milwaukee all tie? It's a great question. I have no idea who holds the tiebreaker in there. Right? It's interesting. And if the Cubs don't make the playoffs, do you think they'll have a new new look next year? Joe Madden, you think he's still leading the charge? No. I think I th- there, there's too much there's too much smoke there. There's been way too much smoke about about his job security. I. Uh, which is nuts in the in the sense that the players are still behind Joe Madden. Rizzo has spoken out multiple times about Joe Madden being the perfect fit for that team, which he probably is, but at this rate. I mean, we alluded to it last week about a team that wins the World Series and then years after they contend, but they don't do anything in the playoffs. They hardly get in the playoffs. They were what a wild card team last year. They didn't win the division. The Brewers did. The only reason you would get rid of Joe Madden is if you believe, like what Bill Walsh used to say, Bill Walsh used to say, uh, after 10 years, your message is lost. You need to go somewhere else, move on. It, has his message been lost inside the, the, the Cubs clubhouse? That would be the I man. Like, if you can sense from a front office standpoint that there needs to be something new because you got over the hump, now you can't get over the hump. How do we get back over that hump? Do we need to bring in a new voice, somebody new? But, you know, that's the thing. It's like... Oh, you think it's better to not have Dombrowski or you think it's better not to have to Joe Madden, you know, just because you make change doesn't mean it's going to work. I mean, the, the guy keeps winning, right? Let's say I'm wrong and, and he gets the teammate. You're going to fire a guy that continues to get you into the postseason? You don't know what you're going to get it's in an, return. They're in an interesting position, though, right? Because they, they can get into the playoffs. Now it's about what they do after they get in. Their farm system is at the point now where everybody that was a top prospect or what you would consider in baseball to be a top prospect is in the major leagues now. 
Now contracts are starting to come up. They've already had preliminary talks with Bryant about the talk, the contract extension. They apparently offered one uh, last offseason. But now Nico Horner was really their last prized possession in terms of a prospect that they had, and they drafted him only a couple of years ago. He's in the major leagues now. So it's at the point where you're not looking forward to anybody coming up. Your players that you're going to have for the next couple of years are in the major leagues. And if all you can do is get into the first round, not make it past that, not make it to the World Series, then is it time for a leadership change when you know you have the talent you're going to be with that talent for multiple years, but if there's the wrong message, you don't have anything else to look forward to, do you change leadership knowing that you have the personnel that you need to contend? It's kind of like the same question the Dodgers had with Dave Roberts, right? Yeah. It's like you're in win mode now, and – so you have this hand, you got a handful of teams that are not trying to win. Then you got a handful of teams that are either superpower teams or they're good enough to win. Because there's three superpowers. There's the Dodgers, the Astros, there's the Yankees. Then you have all these other teams that you're looking around. You're saying, okay, what about the Braves? What about the Cardinals? What about the A's, right? You know, as the A's are finally getting their doom, getting love. But there's a bunch of teams that have a chance to win and a bunch of teams that don't. There's only going to be one winner. So if you do have somebody who is a great communicator, a great manager, a great leader of people, and you get rid of that guy, look at how many times the Nats kept replacing guys and it didn't work. You know, so. It's tough. Sorry, when, Pearl. <laughs> it's uh, it's win-now mode, like yeah. you said. And they have the talent, but they're in a tough division, too. The Cardinals have had a fantastic year. And they also have their personnel, but they've always had a really, really good farm system to go along with What it. What, what bugs me is that – these front offices, you know, they think they're smarter than everybody else. They don't, but they don't come down and talk to people every day. They don't come down and talk to the media every day. They don't have to answer for their decisions. Front offices are making a lot of decisions, but when they don't work, they don't have to talk. They don't have to give you why they did it. They let the manager take the bullets. So that's something that I think front offices also need to think about is remember, you guys all want to control the game, and you want to control it through this manager. Because you know, front office people don't come. The manager talks before and after every single game. You know, front office people will have, well, the general manager will have a show where he's on once a week. That's the thing. Is like these front offices want to make all these decisions, but yet they don't want to face, they don't want to face the music on a day-to-day -day basis. That's why you need to have the right guy. That's like like Bob Melvin is the right guy. You need to have the right guy leading your team and a guy who can take those bullets. Absolutely. Final question. Running out of time. Out at 55 today. Then you got to go do the total access show for today's game. Seven-game road trip that we just wrapped up. Team went 6-1. and one. And on that road trip, Mike Fires had the new look, the monkey tail beard, I think I read. Oh. Buying or selling that uh, Mike Fires' new look was a good one. <laughs> that might be the biggest sell of the year. You know, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Monkey tail. I've never even heard of it. We were at, I liked it. You liked it? I liked it. Change it up. We were at the professor's house on Saturday night when we got to see it for the first time, and I got to say, uh, I'm selling on that. It's one of the worst looks I've ever seen, and immediately he shaved. You wouldn't attempt it? I think we got to put a wager on one of these buying or selling questions, see how they play out. Whether it be the, the Brewers make the playoffs. The Brewers miss the playoffs. you got to go monkey tail. My problem is I can't grow facial hair. You know the Movember thing? <laughs> it's so pathetic. I mean, it's like I'm not a real man. It's so bad. Like, in a whole month, I cannot grow. I can't grow a goatee. 
It, it won't fill in here on the sides. It really <laughs> is. I, 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 I'm embarrassed to have my facial. My facial hair game is so weak. I'm embarrassed by it. You wouldn't survive the NHL playoffs. You wouldn't survive playoffs, period. If you guys want to go into let's like <laughs> grow a beard mode to see how ridiculous mine it'd be, it it'd look like the uh, outfield grass patchy right now. <laughs> that's what that's what my beard would look like. It'd look like the Coliseum after a Raiders game. That's fair. Can you grow? No. Yeah, we're not. in the same boat. Yeah, no, I can't grow facial hair at all. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joey. The Italian Stallion. All right, we're going to be getting you ready for a little A's baseball coming up here on A's Cast and 860 AM The Answer and Sports 1140 KHDK. Well, one guy, I had a conversation today, and I asked, hey, out of all these people that the A's got right now, because they got a lot of starters, if you could start one guy, I got an answer, they'd like to see Tanner. And you think what he's been, 4-1 and one with a 3.40 ERA, He's pitched in big games. He's pitched in the World Baseball Classic. You're not going to be asking him to go seven. You're going to say, take the ball, give me as much as you can. When you start to get in trouble, we're going to bring you out. But does he have the experience that maybe he is the guy? The great thing for the A's is they've got two days off coming up. You got the day off on Thursday, and you got the day off on Monday. So as long as the A's keep winning... They can really start to look at setting up who are they going to want for the one-game wild card. You can set it up exactly however you want it. And that is always best-case scenario. Because the worst-case scenario is if you have to win. If you ha- It's a must-win on the last day of the year, and you have your the guy you think is your best guy out there, well, then he's shot for the wild card game. So whoever... Because the wild card game is going to be on Wednesday. So that whoever you want wild card, you want them pitching like their last games in L.A. or one of the first games in Seattle. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. We want to thank Clay Wood for stopping by, Steve Fiziak, and also Bo Taylor. A's all night with Alex Jensen up next, and I'll be back in moments with A's Total Access, getting you ready for A's baseball right here on A's Cast Live and A's Cast powered by Team. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.